I think that it's really all about being creative, that it's um, every project is an opportunity for greatness. It's an opportunity for creativity. Here, if we're, if we're not doing 15% experimental work on each project, we're not doing our job. Yeah. We have to take a risk. You have to take a chance. You have to get the most experiences you can and see as much as you can so that you have all that stored up uh, to use on your projects. Welcome to the Light Lounge, the first podcast for lighting designers, creatives, and designers who work with light. My name is Thomas Mnich. I'm a lighting designer in New York City. And in this week's episode, I speak with the fantastic Paul Gregory from Focus Lighting. Paul founded Focus Lighting over 30 years ago. And I'm super excited to speak to him because he created over the 30 years an amazing body of award-winning work and his experience and skill to create spaces that evoke emotions that then lead to lasting memories are absolutely amazing. And I think we can all learn from him a lot. So even though Paul is a passionate lighting designer by heart, I think he's also a pretty, pretty good businessman because he had created businesses before. He was trained as a theatrical lighting designer and designing in regional theaters for a few years. He then started a company called Light Lab, which was all about nightclub lighting and manufacturing lighting controls and fixtures. It grew into a five offices and 150 employee company. Absolutely amazing before he segued into to architectural lighting design and creating environments with light under the name Focus Lighting as it stands and is thriving better than ever before today. But before we go into the nitty gritty, we start of course at the beginning and let Paul explain the story because who else could it better do than Paul himself? The first real strong memory for me was seeing Man of La Mancha on Broadway. Mm -hmm. uh, many, many years ago, it was a trip. We came to New York. We go to the Martin Beck Theater. The gold paint on the details, the velour curtains, uh, the walk up to the terrible seats we had way up near the follow spot booth. The house going to half, the house going out, the overture starting, the follow spot cutting through and, and lighting up the conductor and then the sound of the chains and the, and the stairway coming down and the, the court of the Spanish Inquisition was an uh, incredible memory and it's still strong today and that was 45 years ago. It's uh, to try and create that is what I found exciting. That theatrical experience of feeling something, trying to create an emotion with light or trying to create an emotion in a viewer makes the memory stronger. And I still remember it today, which is exciting to me. 30 years later, Mitch Lee uh, wrote the music for Amanda La Mancha. And uh, 30 years later, I lit his home here, his oh, residence no. here Amazing. in New York, which was the old Russian consulate, which was turned into a uh, his residence. Uh, Wow, what it was unusual. <laughs> it was great. It was great for me. Absolutely. So, and then, so did you, was that part of school and you sort of jumped right into learning theater or did you just wanted to be in the environment and then thought, okay, lighting is the binding factor? From there, I went and did a year of summer stock and I was allowed to design the lights for one or two shows very early on. And the next, over the next five years, I did a hundred shows. And that experience, uh, you know, in summer stock, it's one a week stock and you're doing eight shows a summer, a show a week. And you come up with a read the script, you consult with the director, you get a concept, you do a light plot that supports that concept, you hang it, cable it, uh, focus it, cue it, open it, and then do it again. And uh, there's no time to do anything except prioritize what you need done and how quickly and how much time you can spend on it to what relationship, to what effect. Right. When, and it really causes you to analyze quickly, which is a lot of what lighting design is about. Anybody can solve this problem for a million dollars. The wizard is the one who can do it for 17,000. And so you analyze the amount of time it takes, the amount of labor it takes, the amount of equipment it takes to get that effect. And is that effect better than this other effect that takes twice the time but half the money and, and it's working out? Um, it's working that out. 
we're, I mean, that to f to have the ability to recognize what is really important in this specific moment, of course, takes time as well, right? You were probably not from the beginning like, oh yeah, I know, I do this, this, this. Were were there a lot of like failures involved where you thought, ah, okay, that was uh, that was a tricky one. Yeah, somebody <laughs> once said it's it's uh, it's trial and error, and error is a big part of it. Yeah, uh, but the ability in the theater to put the fixture at too steep an angle so it doesn't get in the audience member's eyes because it's three-quarter thrust theater but then it's garish on the face of the actor and to balance that out but you know if you're on a, a 15 foot grid and a 12 foot ladder you can easily slide the fixture back six inches uh, yeah. and make it better the ability to change and learn is really what's important and to be in a situation where you're able to do that Yeah. Uh, and test it and test it. I feel that the person who puts the most light on the most surfaces wins. That's the person with the most experience. It's the visual experience of remembering what this looks like or what that looks like right. and what effect it has. Oftentimes I talk about your ability to remember and how the emotion supports that. And if you're on a beach and you stare out and you see a beautiful sunset and you're with someone who means something to you, you're, you feel something. Right. And that allows you to remember the sunset better. Yeah. So it's storing up those emotional experiences that is part of the, the lighting designer's craft, at least here. We don't do engineering work. We don't do, we do the kind of the big wow, the, the, the fun part. Right. So my experience, and of course I had some touch points with theater as well, my, ex my experience and my, my feeling is that theater, the environment, and the people that work in a theater have all one goal, and they all have the ability to... It's, there are a lot of nice people around, and the, the ability to collaborate is, is very strong there. Is there something that you learn from theater? A, is this correct? And B, is... They're like something that you learn and try to implement in your daily life in like the built environment that lasts longer than a show? Well, it's very much true, and there's a couple of reasons for it. One, in many theater schools, you have to take, as a lighting designer, you have to take set design, costume design, and directing. As a director, you have to take lighting design, set design, and costume design. And so you understand the other creative team's point of view. Yeah. That's good. The, the people are kind... They work hard and they expect a lot, but when the show closes, they're all out of work. The 17-year-old, the 12-year-old, the 85-year-old person, they're all equally out of work. So it's a kind environment, uh, which, is, which is lovely. Uh, it's a, it's a, a great place to be, a great place to work. Did And it's interesting because I think um, and failure becomes more and more important and maybe I change it to more like rapid prototyping that you do something, you learn a lot, you take this knowledge and you apply it in a better way. Um, and I think that that's true and you store up that knowledge and yeah. you're able to repeat it. We did the Harry Potter uh, theater here on Broadway and I'm with the set designer and we're talking about the set design and how the set design should come out in the house And they had arches on stage and led the arches to come out of the house. I said, well, if there were arches in the old days, there would be little chandeliers hanging from them with candles on. Right. So there should be these points of light on the arches throughout the entire theater because there needs to be an apparent source of light. The light just can't come from anywhere or nowhere right. to light the people in the audience so they can read their programs. Yeah. And there needs to be... 45-foot candles down there, 35, enough light so that a 65-year-old person can read the program. Yeah. And But where's that light supposed to come from? It should come from these little decorative fixtures. And she understood it perfectly. The ability to do that when you're 22 is harder because your opinion is not respected as much. But it is if you say... I was in the, uh, this restaurant and saw this effect on the ceiling and it had this effect on the diner. I was in this one and I saw this effect, it had this effect. I was in this, and I was in these 17 places. Now it could be about a spa, it could be about a restaurant, it could be a hotel entry, it's, it's, it could be about a car showroom. It's, um, but you become the curator of the visual image. You become the authority 
and it's not your opinion, you're presenting the facts. Right. So, so sort of whoever has the most facts wins. So, and I'm probably explaining, observing, A, observing, and then B, sort of explaining why something is good. So sort of backing up your, exactly. your, exactly. your idea or vision. Um, so just for my understanding, and uh, we will probably talk a little bit about education a little bit later, but my understanding so far is that you sort of went from school sort of right into the full practice in the theater environment. Um, probably just step by step without being conscious and saying like, okay, I need, I need to go to college for a proper education. It was more like, okay, I get my hands on and I learn what I can. I went to the Goodman Theater School because I started at the University of Massachusetts and they said, maybe you'll be able to design a show in your senior year. And I knew that it was not the right place for me. Uh, and so a, a teacher, a very great teacher, Uh, called the Goodman Theater and said, I have a good student, he should come to you. And he flew out for my audition uh, and got me into the school. And it was wonderful. It was, uh, it was working all the time. It was working with incredibly talented people. There was a professional company that was part of the school. And the training was great. And then it was near time for me to leave. I was only there for two years. And they uh, uh, called the Alley Theater in Houston and said, we have a good young lighting designer here. And, and uh, they said, send him down. And I, that was my first job. Uh, uh, in the Alley, the Arena, and the Guthrie were the big three regional theaters. And I wanted to get to New York. And the, the, that one way was to take a show from the regional theater into New York. House of Blue Leaves had just come from Chicago into New York, and so that was my plan. Did it work out the it way? It did or? not work out that way. Texas, Houston, Texas yeah. is where the Alley Theater is. is a long way from New York. That's right. And they were a little more provincial, and they didn't, they didn't want to bring a show to New York. Uh, so it just didn't happen. And I called uh, my friend I went to school with, Rick Spaulding, and I said, do you want to start a lighting company? Uh, and he said yes, and we started Light Lab. And that's absolutely great. But before we go there, I think there are one or two other characters that I would love to touch base on, like Abe Fader. Did you then later on met um, uh, Abe, Abe Fader? Abe Fader, many years, uh, Abe Fader. Uh, Abe lit My Fair Lady on Broadway. He lit John Houseman's Dr. Faustus yeah. uh, many years ago, and he was just an incredible, incredible man. His uh, quote is up there when yeah, I looked at it again when you called the other day. Heroic failure is okay. He, um, uh, he designed 100-foot poles for the Kentucky airport, I believe, and uh, it didn't work. 100-foot <laughs> poles to light the area didn't work. And, and, uh, wow. and uh, But he tried. He tried. He told me a story once that he was doing the Prometheus Fountain at uh, Rockefeller Center, and he lit Rockefeller Center, um, uh, the, the huge exterior lighting project, uh, uh, and they were doing a fashion show. The opening for the fountain and the right over the ice skating rink was going to be a fashion show. Yeah, and they had you know fashion models out there modeling the clothes. And it didn't look good. It didn't look good. And Abe went across the street to Radio City, got four understudy Rockettes to come over uh, and, and wear the clothes and walk out. And it looked great because those dancers could sell it in a 4,000-seat house. And wow. the runway model yes. was, was playing to the person 12 feet away, uh, and which is you know the, kind of the basis for theater. Uh, how can you, you add uh, warm and cool colors to create shadows on the face that are a little bit enlarged? Yeah. A little stronger so that you can see them from the back row. Yeah. Uh, I, th I mean, it's probably all about presence and how yeah. you how you are able. And I think these, um, and I think you applied it to the... Uh, to the crystal ball uh, on on yeah. the New Year's what is it called the New York's ball the, the Times Square the ball. Times Square yeah, ball yeah. as well that you had like a different relation how does it appear when I'm closer and how does it appear when I'm further away well that question is always what's success 
and you know, and and so success. I asked them what's success, and they said, "Well, success, we don't know." I said, "Well, is it sparkling crystal?" Because Waterford was one of the sponsors. Said, yes, is it is it bright and sparkling, right? Uh, light and uh, Phillips was one of the sponsors. Right. I said yes, <laughs> uh, and so I said, "Well, so from where?" You know, it's great that it's sparkling. It's great that it's bright. It's great that it's exciting. But right. from where? There's the five foot view, the press standing next to the ball. The fifty foot view is the uh, is the TV shot, and the five hundred foot view. You're in the plaza looking up at the ball. Yeah. And which is most? And they said it's about a third, a third, a third. It's about <laughs> equal. And so that's what we took to design. That that's was that was success. And so uh, we had Waterford cut the crystal on the back uh, uh, along with cutting it on the front right. to create more crystal. We, we created a mirror chamber to bounce the light around behind the crystal and, uh, and then wrote programs uh, that told a story, Diamonds in the Sky, Flags of All Nations, A Walk Through Central Park. So each hour would look a little different and there would be a, a kind of an inside story of why it looked different. Yeah. Um, I've seen I've seen the iterations and the different stories yeah. and all very very beautiful. Thank you. Um, so, coming back to maybe to Abe, um, did did you actually work with him? How did you how did you meet? Because I maybe I should I had to look him up as yeah. well. And he was he he is sort of holding the title of being sort of the father of the architectural lighting design. It's true. Um, It's true. Um, he was the th in uh, during World War Two or after it was the WPA projects, the Work Progress Administration, mm -hmm. and they built theaters across the United States and Abe was in charge of the lighting. And uh, uh, GE had, uh, you know, a lamps and there were strip lights that went over the stage and they were just black chambers with a screw base socket. Yeah. And um, Bird's Eye, Clarence Bird's Eye, that did the Bird's Eye frozen food many, many years ago, found a lamp with a reflector on it in Holland, I think. And he brought it in the United States, and GE and, and, and Westinghouse said, that's terrible, it's awful. And Wabe said, it's great, and it pushes more light down onto the stage than a plain A lamp. Yeah. And they would have huge fights. But Abe, and so Abe went from there to doing... Uh, Broadway. He was doing Broadway shows, yeah, and then into architectural lighting, yeah. Uh, and he lit, as I said, Rockefeller Center. He lit the performance spaces, the Cranard Center at the University of uh, uh, Illinois. He did maybe JFK Airport exterior, wow. but he did huge amount of work. And, yeah, and it was, and he was wonderful to talk to. He was crusty. I first met him at La Folly which was a club, we were doing nightclubs, and he had a problem and he called me and asked me to come up and take a look. <laughs> and I was 23, uh, and I, he was a crusty old guy with a cigar who knew everything. Amazing. Uh, and then we became friends and I and we would talk once every couple of months for the next 20 years. Amazing. Yeah, so, and he that, was wonderful. That was, I think, the, the, the time when you were 23 when you then uh, started Light Lab. Yeah. Um, yeah. W was that... Um, You had a focus on nightclubs, or did you already? Was it was it a business that was it a consulting business? It was a uh, it was a stage lighting business uh, that started in Buffalo because my partner had an office in, in Buffalo and uh -huh. he had family in Buffalo, uh -huh. and he had a space in Buffalo and a scenic studio, and so we started a little lighting shop that would go with it, and then discos happened, and we. You know, there were other companies that made control equipment. Yeah. Uh, and we started making control equipment. And, and we sort of took over that marketplace. We understood the relationship of sound to light and effect and illumination sort of better than anyone else. And we made equipment that was bigger and stronger and better than anyone else's. And it took off and we did a thousand clubs all over the world. Holy... M we did Reykjavik. We did the Moscow Olympics when the U.S. pulled out. We did the Basra Sheridan, the Baghdad Sheridan. We did the Coliseum, the biggest club in Tel Aviv, which is still running music plots in Hanover. We did every, you know, Regines here, the Saint uh, uh, Xenon. We did some of the effects for Studio 54. Um, 
and in the middle of this, I get a phone call, and uh, and, uh, and the fellow on the phone says, my name is Robert Stigwood. Are you Paul Gregory? I said, yes. I said, he said, do you know who I am? I said, no, I'm sorry, I don't. He said, well, you know, if you look on the back of the BT's record label, there's a little pink pig that says RSO. That's Robert Stigwood Organization. No way. He said, that's me. And he said, I want you to do the lights for the club scenes for, uh, 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 for Saturday Night Fever. And so we did the movie, and, uh, and then it was just, it, we opened five offices, New York, Buffalo, Boston, Chicago, and L.A. Right. Went from two people to 150 people in five years. Wow. And we had a ball. We just had, uh, uh, and it was all about creativity. The club owner didn't really know about lighting. He wanted it to be really great. He wanted it to be special. He wanted it to be unique. He wanted it to be his. I mean, the clubs had bands, and the bands played too loud, only played four songs, showed up late, uh, and cost $2,000 a week. Yeah. And so that's $100,000 a year, and you had nothing at the end of it except a punched-out club right. graffiti all over it. Yeah. And, uh, and so you could uh, buy a lighting system, the sound system, play whatever you wanted, and you own the equipment. Right. And you could do tea dances on Sunday afternoons, and you could do this, you could do whatever you wanted. And so it took off, uh, and we were luckily right in the middle of it. Like, and it was I, it's, a I like great it, experience. an amazing time. Yeah. So 150 people in so many different locations, how did you, how did you, did it just, how did it happen? I mean, like hiring people, it did, did, Were there moments where you thought, okay, this is a little bit too crazy for me? I, I it, it was too fast, and I was too young, and I didn't I mean, understand. 23, 24, 20, yeah, yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't understand uh, that growth went up and down. Uh, and, uh, um, and in, you know, after eight years or so, um, the, the record companies wanted to change the format to something other than disco. They thought that um, the, the people weren't buying records yeah. uh, and Columbia Records and the other record companies uh, didn't, didn't like it. And so they wanted to change the format, which was silly because people go to clubs are 21 and over and people buy records are 18 and under. Right. Uh, and it, it wasn't true. But they changed that. They said, disco's done. Let's do uh. something else. Uh, and business slowed. Uh, And we had to get into something else, which uh, was making architectural lighting fixtures. Um, right. And, and began that uh, uh, process of, of changeover. And I didn't realize, having all the eggs in one basket in, at that age, I didn't know that that was such a bad idea. But probably a huge learning over this. Oh, incredible learning in process. Amazing uh, time. Yeah, it was wonderful and very exciting. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. It was It was great. You probably still have VIP tickets to every club around the world then? Well, it, it's uh, for years that Light Lab business card could get you in anywhere. Everybody <laughs> loved that. It was just the best control equipment there was. Uh, and you know, we would get awards. Donna Summers gave me an award once for best lighting control equipment. And it was all, it was just a fun time. Anyway, but it was all about creativity. It was all about creativity and light. Yeah, uh, and how to create columns of light in the air, how to create light in architecture, and that really went into then painting pictures with light. Mm -hmm. um, that when you walk into the club, what do you see? It's a picture. Right. It has a foreground, a background, a frame, and a focus. It's a painting, and it's a first impression. Yeah. And, and there can be multiple first impressions, but you you're outside of a hotel. And you, you get out of your car and you look and there's a first impression. Of course. And then you go to the, the doors of the hotel and you open up, look in the lobby. There's a second first impression. You go in and yeah. you look around and there's a third first impression. And, uh, uh, and so we analyze those and say, where's the payoff? What painting does it look like? Why is it great? Right. And if it isn't, and that really gets back to the collaboration idea. Yeah. Because what emotion you're trying to create, what picture or painting you're trying to, to create is a collaborative effort. And the interior designer, the architect, and the client all have to agree that we're trying to make it feel like this when you walk in. If we can create this feeling in the person, yep. then we'll have success. If, they can, if you need to get them to believe that, and then why does that column finish contribute 
to that emotional experience. Right. Why does that color of the back room contribute? And if it doesn't, let's let's think it through again. Is this is this the 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 value proposition for every project that it's about impressions, emotion, and stages throughout the project? Or oh yes, is there because sometimes I in in my very tiny small lighting design experience, sometimes the value or the the need the person across the table is interested in sometimes changes. So for example, maybe. Maybe that's a maybe that's a question I'm saying. So, for example, if I have a mall and the the owner or the investor or the architect they want to have like sort of a magnet and like a like an, more like a light art piece in the center, the question become different than, for example, lighting a bar because it's it's a different scale. I don't think so. I don't think so. When you walk yeah. into the doors of the mall and you see that art piece in the center, mm -hmm. you see it in relation to the wall, col the columns around it and the right. floor color and the ceiling color in the stores. Right. Um, are the stores bright and glary? And so the art piece has to be even brighter to stand out in front of it. Yeah. Is the, should the floor be blue to be the background color? Do you enter high and you look low? Right. Uh, so the floor is more important. Do you enter low and look high? So the ceiling's more important. Right. But it's all analysis of that image. Right. And what are the important surfaces? And right. maybe it's the columns. Maybe it's the store windows. It's, it could be a lot of things. Yeah. And now and then the malls are getting into nighttime effects because they put the expensive restaurants up on the fifth floor. Yeah. And how do you and the people have to walk past the stores to get to the nice restaurants. Right. And to spend $150 uh, per person at, at a restaurant after walking past glary fluorescent of windows course. isn't isn't sexy. And people want an experience. So do those walkways need to dim? And do the store lighting, the first 15 feet of store lighting, need to dim right. as part of the uh, of the experience? Uh, of the experience. Yeah, makes total makes But totally sense. If yeah. all you see is light, I mean, you don't see my shirt, you don't see the carpet, you don't see the wood of the table. Right. You just see the light that bounces off it. Right. Uh, so that we're responsible to say, this is the experience you'll have as you're walking through. Right. So then after. Was the, why was the reason that you sort of stopped Light Lab? Was it because you wanted to explore something new or because well, uh, the 150 people in five offices, <laughs> it was really about management. Yeah. And if I could speak loud enough that the packing person in California could hear me, right. then I could get the experience, my thoughts, my desires uh, throughout the entire company. So you had to be that big, and which is A, it's a little tiresome. And B, it's not lighting design. It's right. interesting, but after yeah. you've done it, it's not lighting design, and I'm a lighting designer, and that's right. what I love. Uh, and so to uh, to stop that, uh, uh, and Rick Spaulding is still running it uh, yep. and is, is doing great, yep. and um, uh, that was Light Lab. Um, and to start another company was the idea. And uh, it was it was just all about lighting design. It was all about creativity. And I, at that time, Howard Branson had just uh, illuminated the um, Statue Death of Liberty. Liberty. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you, if it's about big, Light Lab was often about big. Let's grow as big as we can, as fast as we can. Mm -hmm. And focus would be about just doing a great job. If you lit a kitchen better than anyone else could, that's right. great. If you want to light the biggest building, you're going to be upset because somebody's going to light a bigger building next week. And then what are you going to do? Right. Yeah. Was it a different thinking coming, having a partner in your first company and then starting something by yourself, or did you have a partner as well? Um, no, I had no partner. Rick Spaulding is uh, one of the greatest guys I've ever known. He's wonderful, fabulous, kind, creative, uh, and really smart. And his family has been a big family in Buffalo and mm -hmm. in the United States for years and years. So he had, he could tell a a young man from the country, you could teach me an awful lot, A. And, and B, he was wonderful. And I would never, uh, there's nobody else like him. Right. So for me to start off on my own was not a problem. Yeah. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't have a desire to have a partner uh, until uh, I got to 
25 or 30 people and had been doing uh, focus lighting for 25 years. Yeah. I said, it's, you know, or 20 years, yeah. it's time to start looking for somebody to take over. I named it Focus Lighting and not Paul Gregory Lighting Design so that somebody could take it over and continue on the good work yeah. and not be saddled with somebody else's name. Right. And now Brett Anderson is doing just that. Uh, and he started here uh, right out of college. Uh, 22 years ago right. and started as a very, very junior designer and learned a little more and a little more and a little more and a little more and now he runs the place. Um, uh, that's and that was him on the phone with the museum uh, upstairs. That's, I, yeah, that's yeah. pretty That's yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah. I, and I, yeah. I think it seems like that you do a lot of things right, that Light Lab is still doing very well and now like Focus Lighting, of course, is, yeah. is still running um, on full speed. Um Coming back to the beginnings of Focus Lighting, did you actively reach out, or did you have, or had, did you have established at that point so many relationships that people would approach you, or did you create like a wish list of clients that you then would approach, or how? Um, it was really people approached me. Uh, uh, we had done clubs all over the place, so there were those designers that would call and say, we're doing a hotel lobby. Right. And we want it to be special and unique. Yeah. Uh, and uh, sound people that I had done projects with uh, said, there's a project in, in Saudi Arabia uh, that uh, we'd like to do. And then there, there's a project in Greece. So the, uh, I get a call from a, a, a person, uh, uh, Andre Gregory, uh, saying we'd like you to go to Greece on Thursday uh, <laughs> and design this uh, this uh, this uh, boat for Mr. Latsis who's doing a project uh, on a refinery with the king of Saudi Arabia <coughs> and the king had chosen him and supposed to shell or mobile or standard oil to do the the partnership with and would you go and I said I can't go I've got projects to do I can't go on Thursday I said well can I have my father call you and, and the and the and the, the Monsignor uh, uh, Basil Gregory called me same name as mine and said my son where you know have you uh, uh, I've uh, said uh, mass at that church near your home many years and I've done this and done that and And 20 minutes later, I was flying on Thursday to Greece <laughs> to light this thing. But it was wonderful. It was a wonderful time. And all we did was great work. We yeah. really don't promote ourselves now. All we do is great work and let the work promote itself. Yeah. If we do it better than anybody else could possibly do it, that's what that's what we like. Yeah. Is there? Do you make a distinction between architecture and theater, or is it? Um. Yes, I mean, and I, we don't do you know, we do some theaters. We did the Helen Hayes Theater and the and the Harry Potter Theater and uh, the Lyric yeah, Theater yeah. on Forty Third Street, right? And and we do some of that, but not much. And some of the big clubs we do Tao or big nightclubs or rather big restaurants. Tao, for example, has the feeling of a club, right? Um, uh, but our work is architectural work. Uh, it's less forgiving. Yeah. It's poured in concrete. It's it's installed in the ceiling. It can't be moved six inches because it's better over there. Uh, so there's it's more difficult, more challenging, and the uh, and the mistakes are not forgiven. Uh, and so. and that's probably your your early career in theater in rapid prototyping probably has yeah. set you up to to be. Yeah. Um, not to make mistakes anymore or well and we just challenge the people here to look down the road yeah be proactive what could go wrong don't solve problems look for problems right uh and get them out of the way uh could and coming back to the emotion and the experience um is there is there something where you feel okay now it becomes sort of superficial and not sort of authentic anymore I don't think so. I mean, an example is if you take a walk through the woods and you enter the forest and there's the backlit um, maple leaves that are like green over your head and there's the little spaces between the leaves where the sunlight uh, comes through and makes a dappled pattern on the floor. Yeah. And then there's a bunch of direct sunlight that comes through and lights a tree and you see the strong shadows of the bark of the tree. And then there's a waterfall and the sunlight hits the waterfall and it's sparkling on the waterfall. That's... Uh, That stirs an emotion in me, and can you relate that 
to the entry into a hotel. Yeah. And can that give you the same feeling? Right. Uh, Luc Lafortune is a lighting designer for uh, Cirque du Soleil, and we were together once, and I said, you know, Cirque du Soleil is so successful, 15 shows out to three theaters, you know, Orlando and Montreal and a couple of Vegas. And so successful. I said, why is it so successful? And he said, well, Mystere uh, was uh, 18 months between the first meeting and the opening of the show and the first six months were on concept. Wow. And which, you know, if you spend hours on concept in an architectural project, it's exciting. But not for us, but it's, right. it's we push that really hard to get the concept right. But they would have the lighting designer, the set designer, the musical coordinator, the uh, musical director, the choreographer, the uh, everybody in a room talking about uh, 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 concept. And I said, "Well, concept." I said, "I saw him stare three times." I said, "You know, there's like the there's the strongmen holding each other up." I said, "What's the concept?" He said, "Didn't you see the curve?" Of the, of the surface they were on, that's the earth. They were the guys who created the earth. Wow. And the idea that you didn't have to know the concept. Mm -hmm. The concept didn't have to hit you in the face squarely. There had to be a concept. Right. Uh, and you look at the Apple store on, on, right. uh, here in New York. What's the concept? Is it the Cathedral of Apple? Mm -hmm. You know, there's that emblem up there in the center, the Apple Center Center, and there's the Parsons tables, and there's the tablets on the Parsons tables, and it's a big... It's... Is, it, you don't have to say the Cathedral of Apple, but boy, it feels good to be in there. Right. Uh, and so searching for that concept is a big deal. And yeah. we lean on it here hard yeah. uh, that there has to be a concept. And many clients fight it. They no, 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 we don't need that. And you, the client's always right. Mm. But each time you push them a little farther and a little farther. We did the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago. I said, what's success? They said, success is having a 12-year-old boy or girl become interested in physics. If we do that, that's success. I said to myself, where would a 12-year-old boy or girl go to be excited about physics? And I would think he would go or she would go to their father's garage or their grandfather's garage if their grandfather was that guy from Back to the Future with all the hair right. sticking out. And that would be a cool place. And so what we're doing is we're making that garage. Yeah. That's what the museum is going to be. And so what would the wrapper of that museum be? Well, to me, it would be like a blue sparkling wrapper. Uh, and all the effects would be inside that. It wouldn't be scary. It wouldn't be black. Right. Because uh, that would be scary. It wouldn't be white because that would compete with the effects or amber. It would be blue, a big blue wrapper. And so I, I, I called them up and I said, I've got this idea. And they said, it took them a while to say, we, we hate that idea. It's not that we don't like it. We really hate it. We really hate it. Uh, and... Uh, and so I built them a four foot by 12 foot piece of wall, uh, which is in the mock-up room yeah. still. And I sent it to them and they set it up and looked at it. And now the entire museum is blue. It's all blue lit walls. Amazing. And, they, and just don't give up just because they said we don't like it or they hate it. Uh, doesn't mean that you give up. You just yeah. keep going. If you believe it and you know it's right, you have to keep going. Right. Uh, and so that's what. That's is, what we do. Is that is that a successful is that a successful project for you? Oh, very much, very much, and really successful for them. Their their numbers are off the charts. They uh, <laughs> they're just thrilled. Uh, it was a pleasure to work with them. They were great. Uh, is there yeah. is there a general f feeling or definition for success for every project? I think so, and that's really part of the key is getting that defined in the beginning what's mm -hmm. success if what because if you can't say what that is you can never achieve it right uh, and so get the, getting the client the architect the interdesigner to agree on what success is then it works so the de uh, definition of the of, yeah of the beginning on yeah. of every project is super super important yeah um I think you said, and uh, you have used the term in our conversation some time, uh, the lighting designer is the curator of the visual image. That's what we heard already. But then it's a responsibility we all have to accept. Is this something that was also a little bit directed to the architects who don't understand? 
No, I think it's really directed to the lighting designer that it's our obligation to take their floor plans and elevations and renderings and material samples and replay to them what it's going to look like. Yeah. And, oh, you might have rendered these columns as, uh, you know, really important, but they're not going to be really important. Yeah. What's going to be really important is this, and this will be primary, and this will be secondary, and this will be third. Right. And this will be your picture. Now, if you paint that back wall red, your picture will change to this, and you keep replaying it over, which is a huge amount of work. Yeah. And you do that from the primary viewports yeah. on the project and say, here's your first primary view, here's your second, here's your third, and here's why they're great pictures or not, and here's the emotion that's going to be created, and here's what you're going to see uh, and hopefully what you're going to feel, but what you're going to see when you look at those locations. Right. And if the fountain is four feet tall, it's going to be this important. If it's 12 feet tall, it's going to be this important. And it's not just about how much money you spend. Yeah. Maybe you don't do a fountain. If if you can't do one that's this high because it's not going to look right. Yeah. In the center, the fountains at the Burj Khalifa in Dubai mm -hmm. are three times bigger than uh, the, uh, not the Mandalay Bay, the Bellagio in Vegas. And they look tiny. Uh, and uh, But what are you trying to achieve? I mean, Dubai is trying to achieve excitement and tourist dollars with tall buildings right. and shopping centers with ski slopes in them and and uh, yeah. and so forth. And so Abu Dhabi competes with Dubai. How do they compete? Well, they create Sadiat Island and put five museums on it. You know, Jean Nouvel's the Louvre or, or, or maybe it's the classical museum. Uh uh, Norman Foster has a museum. Zaha Hadid has a performing arts center. Tadoando has a maritime museum. Frank Geary has a Guggenheim. And do you try and compete with culture rather than tall buildings? Uh, and will people will people go for culture? Yeah. It worked in Vegas. Cirque du Soleil changed Las Vegas. Uh, and so we're in a we're in an interesting time, and the lighting designers job is more difficult and more important uh. do you still feel that you have to educate your clients i mean seeing here these amazing mock-up rooms light is still something that's really hard to understand if you are not really sort of experiencing it i mean yeah the client has so many things on their mind right uh you know whether it's the the quality of the steak or the fish that they serve and how the servers are trained and they and their competition they have thousands of things to think about right uh and so we have to say we want to do this for this reason at this cost and here's why right and oftentimes the here's why <clears throat> I mean, when we did Toys R Us in the middle of Times Square, I took a, a spot meter down and uh, took readings of all the surfaces in Times Square mm -hmm. and then said, so your surface is going to be like that one if you spend this much money or this, if you spend this much money or this. And then they could say, well, we want it to be about there. Well, that costs about this. And it, it, it was in a way that they could understand. Right. We did the same thing with the aisles. Do you want to look like that or that or that? This store or Sephora or what store do you want to look like? Right. This has so many foot candles on the product and so many foot candles in the aisle, and the contrast ratio is about this. Is, do you want to be there or do you want to be more like this? A run-on sentence where it's more clutter and there's light everywhere. Right. Uh, and and you, some, I mean, the, the, the clutter idea has a feeling of value. You go to a warehouse to buy product, oh, I'm getting a good deal because right. they're not spending any money on anything other than the, the product. Yeah. Uh, so it, there's there's good and bad for both, but we have to all decide what we're doing. Right. Towards clients, do you feel like there's, there's probably different needs? Do you have the feeling that some clients need more information, whereas some clients, if I give too many choices or too many informations, they're overwhelmed and I don't... Mm, maybe it's not... They're all pretty smart. They're, the clients are, mm -hmm. they've gotten to where they are by being yeah. able to make good decisions quickly. Yeah. And so we give them all the facts we want and we simply ask them, do you want me to keep going? Yeah. I can go on farther and farther on this if you want all the details. Yeah. But I'm giving you the executive summary. But if you delve deep 
if you dive down on this part, you'll find this and this and this and this and this. If you dive down or you'll find this and this. Do you want it all or do you just want the, the highlights? Makes totally yeah. sense. And they're yeah. uh, they're appreciative of that. Yeah. And oftentimes they'll say, you know, I wish the air conditioner guy would do this. Uh, but I go to a meeting with three fixtures and it's kind of good, better, best. Yeah. And th this one costs $700. Yeah. And this one costs 100 but this one's pop rivets and it's going to loosen up over time. And this one is, and, but this one in the center is $250 and it does this and this and this and it's pretty quiet and it holds the accessories like this and it's <clears throat> easy to adjust. We think this is, we should base the base yeah. around this. So having facts and all the knowledge and now thinking about collaboration again, and now I'm sitting in this amazing office here with so many images and memories and so many important things. And I look um, on the on the picture behind here on the wall and I, I see uh, Jonathan uh, Spears. Um, was, was he a colleague, role model? How oh, we, did you... We met uh, at the Edinburgh train station in... By accident? Well, his partner was Andre Tamez. Uh, he had just gone to work with Andre. And Andre was a theatrical lighting designer. And we had done projects with him at Light Lab. And I went over to see him. And he said, oh, I've got this new young guy working with me. And Jonathan came down and had a drink at the train station. And, uh, and then he came to visit. And we just had a ball. We hit it off. We had a great time. Uh, and then he came to visit me a year later, maybe. Uh, and then we started, we decided that we should travel to the world's fairs, that we were creative people, we needed creative ideas. And before the internet, you would get creative ideas at the world's fairs. Of course. So we went to Seville, to the world's fair, and we went to Hanover, and we went to Madrid, and we went to all over to the world's fairs. We had a ball. And we'd get new ideas, but we would talk every day. And he was in Scotland and had an office about this, my size, same size as this. And uh, he uh, would come and stay with me for a couple of weeks in the summer and then bought a house next to mine and then built a house <laughs> uh, down the street. And we'd water ski together. We'd travel together. We would, uh, we'd have a great time. Uh, and one of his daughters is graduating college, NYU Theater School. Aaron is graduating in May of this year. Well, yeah, and so yeah, I stay in contact with the family. Jonathan passed away six years ago. Right. Yeah. Anything specific that you have in mind that, like, as something that he said that stuck to your mind, where you thought this is something, this is advice that I that I keep today. He was just very creative. He looked. Uh, we don't do projects where we can't sit across from the owner. We don't do committees. Yeah. We don't do airports. We don't do. We don't like it. Yeah. You can't make somebody happy if they're right. if it's a committee. Right. Um, and he would do the bigger projects. Uh, uh, the the uh, um, in Abu Dhabi, the Grand Mosque. Right. Uh, uh, the Burj Al Arab. We did the controls and the programming for the exterior, but he did the design and things like that. Um, uh, but we just had. Uh, we were both creative and excited by light um, in the same way yeah yeah and enjoyed our company we, we, we could have fun walking down Broadway we, <laughs> and looking at whatever we saw we could just talk for hours and hours and hours it was great it was a great collaboration and sitting across the table to like uh, across clients there's probably a big sense of gratification or satisfaction when the person across the table you you satisfy in terms of the project right I mean And we, uh, since Light Lab and having all the, uh, doing just one kind of projects, clubs, yeah. and having that falter was a, a scary time. And so now we have a certain amount of residential work, a certain amount of hospitality work, a certain amount of museum work, a certain amount of corporate work. Right. And um, so that if one goes up, the other goes down. And the residential work has that feeling. When you light up somebody's paintings and they haven't seen that color uh, you know, in years and they're excited by it uh, is very, very gratifying. Uh, and we've done, you know, uh, interesting projects for, uh, yeah. for in, in the residential world, and it's it's really nice. 
Have there been have there been any? And I'm coming towards the end here now. Um, have there been specific role models that you had? I mean, probably bouncing off ideas back and forth to uh, with Jonathan, but also. I think Abe Fader was affected me a lot. Yeah. Uh, as he was, uh, he just cut through the baloney and got to. You know, the problem is the women walk on the stage. It's not the lighting. It's not the scenery. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's the talent. Uh, and he quickly could analyze. Yep. And the importance of seeing through that and saying the problem isn't here or here. The problem's there. And that ability to analyze quickly uh, and is critically important. Right. Uh, and my old uh, Jim Cavanaugh was the f uh, first director that uh, kind of took me in uh, in the theater. And he was uh, you know, very important to me and taught me a huge amount. And he's the one who flew out and got me into school in Chicago and, uh, and is still a friend. Yeah. yeah. Well, I clearly still feel the great excitement um, for Light. Um, is there anything that I missed that we uh, want to touch on? Let me see. I think that it's really all about being creative, that it's um, every project is an opportunity uh, for greatness. It's an opportunity for creativity. Uh, here, if we're, if we're not doing 15% experimental work on each project, we're not doing our job. Yeah. We have to take a risk. You have to take a chance. Um, you have to get the most experiences you can uh, and see as much as you can so that you have all that stored up uh, to use on your projects. Right. Paul, I really appreciate it. Um, I'm I'm not sure if you recognize, but my smile from the begin beginning to the end until now, it could not be bigger because I think the experience you gave and created here, just like in the interaction with you, but also your office, absolutely delightful. Um, I, yeah, I can only say thank you so much for- Well, thank you. Thank you for coming. Being on the show. People probably can find you uh, on your website and get in touch with you there. Um, and I'm very happy to help and share your words as um, yeah, you clearly enlighten people around you. Thank you. We're at focuslighting.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. Dear Lighting Designers, that was the amazing conversation I had this week with the fantastic Paul Gregory from Focus Lighting. So if you are interested, please go and check out his amazing work under focuslighting.com or for more insights and background stories under Instagram, focuslightingnyc. While you're already there, please say hi. I'm super excited to connect and get to know your story. And then I will catch you in one of the next week's episodes. And I guess so long, stay lit.